Good evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. North Carolina Central University School of Law was authorized in 1939 during a time when African Americans were precluded from enrolling in UNC Chapel Hill School of Law, the only state law school in the state of North Carolina. The first NCCU law class was enrolled in 1940 and the first class graduated in 1943. The first African American female students were admitted in 1944. The mission of NCCU School of Law is to provide high-quality, personalized, practice-oriented, and affordable legal education to historically underrepresented students from diverse backgrounds to increase diversity in the legal profession. NCCU Law graduates are encouraged and empowered to become highly competent and socially responsible lawyers and leaders committed to public service and to meeting the needs of underserved communities. This mission helps NCCU Law and its graduates create a more, much-needed, just society. Since that first graduating class, NCCU Law has produced lawyers, legislators, judges who fully embrace the mission of the institution. A few of our notable graduates include U.S. Congressman G.K. Butterfield, U.S. Federal District Court Judges Arinda Wright Allen and Rossi Alston, North Carolina Supreme Court Justice Mike Morgan and North Carolina Court of Appeals Judge Wanda Bryant, retired North Carolina General Assembly House member Mickey Mishaw, and current North Carolina Senator Jay Chaudhry, Former Governor Mike Easley is also a graduate of NCCU Law, as is the former mayor of Atlanta, Maynard Jackson. And the list goes on and on. And while you probably recognize most of the names I just mentioned, there are many, many more NCCU Law alums whose names you may not immediately recognize who are living the mission and using the legal training they received at NCCU Law to serve the community. And one such alum and our guest on this evening's show is Judge Ashley Parker Dunstan. Judge Dunstan graduated from NCCU Law in 2012 at the ripe old age of 24. She was an assistant district attorney for almost two years and an assistant attorney general for the North Carolina Department of Justice for about three years. In 2017, only five years after graduating from law school, Judge Dunstan was appointed by the governor to the district court bench in Wake County. Judge Dunstan, who was 30 at the time of her appointment, was only the third and youngest African-American female district court judge in Wake County history. Judge Dunstan, thank you so much for being a guest on our show this evening. Thank you so much for having me this evening. I'm so excited to be in the room with my two favorite professors. So it's such an honor to be here. Thank you. So we're going to start with uh, having you share with us why you decided to go to law school and why you chose NCCU School of Law. Well, initially, I did not want to go to law school. I wanted to be a doctor, which is why I attended Wake uh, Forest University uh, out of high school. 
Um, I took that first psychology class. I'm sorry, that first biology class. um, And that was an epic fail, needless to say. (laughs) So I realized quickly that was not going to work. So then I ended up majoring in psychology. And it wasn't until my junior year, second semester, that I literally was like, God said, Ashley, stop running. And the running was because my dad was um, a prosecutor, and he's now retired, um, who, you know, growing up, him being a lawyer, everyone always asked me all the time, do you want to be a lawyer like your dad when you grow up? And I was like, no, I want to do my own thing. And my dad was like, you know, go do whatever you want to do, you know. So being a doctor was kind of the, the way out. Um, but then, like I said, my junior year, it was so clear to me as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life that, number one, I like to argue. Um, number two... <laughs> Uh, number two, you know, I like to talk a lot. And then number three, I really, really wanted to help people. So I figured this was the logical uh, career for me. So I called him up and said, Dad, I, I want to go to law school. And he said, where? And I said, the only place, which is the North Carolina Central University School of Law, which is where he graduated with Justice Michael Morgan uh, in 1979. And he was extremely excited and proud of me for making that decision on my own. Um, so Central was my first and only choice. And, 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 and I recall... Uh, your dad very well when he was in law school. Uh, I was not on the faculty at the time. Uh, and then uh, when he uh, became a uh, assistant district attorney over in, uh, in Wake County where he served uh, for uh, an extended uh, period of time and then he went back home uh, and uh, became a judge. No. He, he stayed an assistant district attorney. Yeah, he ran for judge and was unsuccessful. Oh, I thought he had won that. No, scene. he See didn't that? win. Straightened me out. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right, so you elevated. Well, I tell you, I stand on his shoulders. And mm-hmm. that's that's exactly mm-hmm. what I told him when I was sworn in because um, being from Hickory, North Carolina, a small area, very conservative, just not really willing to have an African-American serve. I mean, him being the one of the first to serve on that side of the state was huge mm-hmm. in and of itself. But... Uh, they were just not prepared, even if he was the most qualified. And so, you know, seeing those experiences with him, I knew what I was stepping into, um, deciding to run for judge. But then I'm just so thankful for his uh, his gumption and just his um, ability to say, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there and did it several times and was just not successful. Mm-hmm. But he, he will say any day that, you know, for me to be here now, it was all worth it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you know, in, in light of all the burdens that you saw that he experienced in Wake County, uh, because I believe he was the only African-American who was an assistant district attorney yes, sir. Uh, at, at that time, because that was the history yes, sir. In, uh, in Wake County, that you, uh, when one went, you replaced that one with another uh, African-American, and then leaving and going back you know, into a more conservative uh, uh, community. Uh, how did that impact uh, you're thinking about your wanting to follow uh, that same path, not in his footsteps, but certainly that same path. Yes, sir. I think that his resiliency and, like you said, being the only one. Um, and I lived a lot of that definitely and not in the same time zone <laughs> or time frame. Um, but um, for me, growing up in that area as well, I was one of the only ones in my class. And one of the, you know, I, I dealt with uh, racism um, in the way that and, and because he had gone through those experiences, he was able to walk me through those steps and how to remember to uh, how to how to speak to people and how to treat people with respect, even if they don't treat you the same way. Um, I remember being four years old and getting a letter uh, from my best friend saying you can't come to my birthday party because you're black. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, I just remember even black people telling me my cousin saying, oh, you sound like a white girl. And so having my dad who has gone through that experience and, you know, and my mom as well to really help me understand that dynamic and then who I am and to be comfortable in who I am was so important. And then even for me, when I started out the Wake County DA's office, I was the only African-American female in the office at the time um, out of about 45 attorneys. So it was a lot more attorneys than when my dad was there, but still understanding that that other piece, you know, of being the other and being the only one. Um, but luckily, because of what they had taught me and instilled in me, I was able to balance that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, what your father confronted being um, a black man and what you've confronted being black. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you've had to deal with being a woman and then, of course, a black woman and how that has um, presented you with with challenges that that maybe your dad might not be able to fully appreciate. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, sometimes I can't figure out if I'm getting the discrimination because I'm black, because I'm female or because I'm young. I can't figure out which one it is sometimes. I say, you know, hey, it's all three. Um, But as a woman specifically and as a black woman um, dealing with being an attorney, uh, has has had its challenges, specifically as an assistant district attorney, remembering in the back of my head that stigma that, you know, if you come off too passionate or emotional, you are seen as an angry black woman, specifically when you're a litigator and you're in the courtroom. And so I was constantly trying to uh, balance that out at the same time being a zealous advocate for the state, but at the same time recognizing that I have to be careful on my approach and the way that people perceive me because their perception is reality. Um, And so that has been extremely challenging and was extremely challenging. But I thank God for that experience, because now as a judge, I still have to deal with those issues and those microaggressions. But because of the experiences that I've had as a DA and as a uh, attorney general, assistant attorney general, um, now I'm able to handle those. Um, I can think of some experiences that I had. Uh, For example, I was in a smaller county because when I was an assistant attorney general, I traveled all over the state. So you never know what you're going to get. And I was in a smaller county and I was standing up for a calendar call in Superior Court, which is where, you know, we all stand up and we say who who we are, who we represent and how long we anticipate the matter taking. And this gentleman stood up and I stood up when the judge called our names. And he says his name and says the attorney general's office didn't send anybody. And I'm standing right there. And, you know, at this point, it was angry Ashley wants to go off in this courtroom, right? But I said, I can't do that, right? Because of the experiences I've had before, I knew how to handle it. And so I just stood up a little stronger, a little bit, you know, a little bit more, a better posture. (laughs) And I said, you know, my name is Ashley Parker Dunson, Assistant Attorney General here on behalf of the Division of Motor Vehicles. I anticipate this matter taking around 30 minutes, Your Honor. I then won the case handed up my order, and drove back to Raleigh. <laughs> you know, that was just the way that I've had to to deal with people in situations I've been asked if I'm the secretary when I'm standing up in different courtrooms. Um, and so I'm really, really passionate about uh, letting people know about the sexism that we experience, but also the sexism that black women experience in addition to regular sexism that women experience, specifically in the courtroom, because it does exist, and we need to raise awareness of it so that it will end. And I, I want to just, you know, express um, a special appreciation. Uh, a year after, I think that first year when you were appointed to the bench, you wrote an op-ed where you were talking about sexism um, in the courtroom, and you used that platform and that opportunity to share experiences of other um, women, female attorneys, and, and the sexism that they experienced. 
And that is such a model, you know, when you have a platform and you're able to share those experiences as opposed to kind of running away from it. So as a former professor of yours and as a, you know, obvious fan of yours, thank you for for using that platform in that way. No, thank you so much. I said, if I'm only a judge for three years, that's okay. I'm going to what what difference can I make in this period of time? And I really wanted to get those stories out where women like you said, may not feel comfortable saying it in their jobs or might feel like there might be some kind of repercussions for it. I wanted to make sure that their voices were heard. And so I'm super grateful for them, for their honesty. Um, I'm, I've actually got a CLE that's developing out of it that I'll be doing on August the 21st at Campbell Law School for the Wake County Bar Association. That's going to be sexism, the elephant in the courtroom. So I'm excited about that CLE and we'll be hearing from more experiences from some women that are um, that are willing to talk about their experiences. Well, let me just ask about uh, another side of that same uh, issue because, you know, as, as proud as we are of you, uh, as when you were an assistant uh, district attorney and assistant uh, attorney general and now you're, you're a judge, uh, what, how have you had to deal with the kind of com- conflicting notions from African Americans? about your position and then how you deal with the law and the particular issues and concerns that uh, arise out of the relationship between African Americans and the law and law enforcement. Absolutely. So, you know, it actually goes back to my dad and him dealing with the African-American community saying you work you were working for the man, you know, basically hearing the community say things like, oh, you're locking up black men. You know, you are part of the problem. You're part of the system. And so when I became a D.A., I also kind of knew what to expect and I already kind of knew how to handle that because of my experiences growing up. And so the one thing that I felt like was most important to combat that is to educate the community on the criminal justice system so that there is not this false dynamic to feel like, well, you're blo- you're locking up black men, the system is unfair, et cetera, and so forth. I go out into the schools and talk to students or, you know, host any kind of events that I have, such we have one coming up this Saturday, to bring children into the courthouse to educate them. Um, because the reason being is because, yes, there are times that the system is unfair. There are times that racism has taken hold. People are people. Judges have implicit biases. Officers do. DAs do. Attorneys do. We all have them, right? That's not to say that that that's not an issue. But what it is to say is that there are people that need to be in position to change that dynamic. You need people who have experienced racism and and have diverse experiences so they can say, I'm not going to allow that to happen again. It's not going to happen, you know, if I'm in charge or if I'm if it's in my courtroom or whatever's going on. Um, And so I think that's important to educate on that and to put people in position to educate our, our people to vote, to vote for our elected DAs, vote for our mayors that are picking these um, these chiefs of police, vote for our sheriffs. You know, if we want to see the change, we need to be the change. And so I believe that educating our community on how the system works, because we're all going to be a part of it, but also putting good people in positions so that they can make that change is just vital. Mm-hmm. So you're obviously passionate about serving the community, and I know that uh, you've had a wonderful foundation with your parents. Can you talk a little bit, though, about how your experience at NCCU Law helped facilitate that um, desire to serve the community so passionately? Oh, absolutely. I tell anybody, if you want to go to law school and you want to serve people, you go to Central. That's where you go. I mean, the motto is in truth and service. Service is a part of the 
platform and the basis of what Central has started out on. When you read that history, I mean, that is what it's all about. It's about giving diverse, uh, to, to bring diversity into the legal field, but also those that have a passion for serving others um, and not necessarily just to make a lot of money. That's not what it's about. I mean, when we talk about our clinics um, and the opportunity that you have to actually get in hands-on um, in those environments, the classes that we teach, such as race and law that I took with you, um, you know, those opportunities that we have uh, are just, they're, they're powerful. And it, translate as, it translates as a student when you're serving in that capacity and, and that's in, in sta- in, instilled in you and ingrained in you as you're going through, you know, the three years or four years of law school, that when you get out, you're going to continue to do that. You're going to continue to give that pro bono free legal services. You're going to continue to want to help as many people as you can, those that have been impoverished, um, those that have been affected by racism or any other issues. You're going to want to do that. And so Central, that is the core of what we are and who we are. And I think that our students and our alumni embody that 100 percent. Okay. This is the uh, Legal Eagle Review. And uh, we, uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, right now, we're talking with uh, Judge Ashley Parker Johnston, uh, District Court Judge in uh, in Wake County and alum at uh, of North Carolina Central University uh, School of Law, uh, and she's talking about uh, her experience uh, growing up in the law and uh, finally becoming a uh, judge in the uh, system. So, want you to uh, stay with us as we continue this uh, this discussion. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us. We are talking uh, this evening with uh, Judge Ashley Parker Dunstan, who is a uh, district court judge over in, uh, in Wake County. Uh, she was formerly uh, an assistant district attorney uh, there, and then before that was an assistant attorney general uh, for the uh, North Carolina Department of, uh, of Justice. Uh, she is one of our illustrious alums uh, who uh, has now ascended to the, uh, to the bench uh, where she is uh, dispensing justice and interpreting uh, the law. And we're very proud of her and all of the things that she has accomplished. Now, one of the uh, uh, questions that's always raised, uh, maybe not publicly as much, is... Uh, the conflict that you encounter uh, as a, uh, a woman, uh, a black woman, uh, breaking into a, a legal profession that's basically uh, white male uh, dominating and then uh, having to maintain a family life uh, separate and apart uh, from that. Can you kind of, you know, just talk about your experiences uh, in, 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 in that guard in terms of making those transitions uh, that women experience differently than do men uh, because the demands that, uh, that are placed on us differ uh, from the people that we are around. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, it, it is difficult navigating and infiltrating a environment that is not conducive to having you in it. 
Um, I think the best way to do that is continue to be you, but then at the same time, be strategic um, in what you're trying to do to get to where you can make the biggest difference and whatever that looks like. Um, for me, I would say I was horrible at first at balancing family and um and, and my job as a DA, I was very young coming out, 25 years old, 26. I had just married my husband right after graduation. Um, and so that was my very first job ever. And I was just coming home, you know, Daniel, blah, 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 blah. You're not going to believe what happened. You know, taking it out on him. And he's like, stop. You know, I am, you know, or I'm, you know, questioning him about something. And he's like, I am not your witness on the stand. You know, do not interrogate me. You know, so learning that balance in that so that I, I sustained my marriage. And thankfully, we've been married now seven years, but hopefully it will continue. <laughs> but <laughs> I've been I've been definitely working on that. And I think that was perfect practice for the bench because I have to make sure that I'm not carrying one case to the next. So if someone frustrates me in one case or one attorney frustrates me and they're in the next case, I have to make sure that I am clear then I'm ready to go fresh, not carrying over anything because the next case is a, is a totally new case. Same thing with the day. I now have a three-year-old and a nine-year-old. And, you know, in the morning it might be hectic. But when I start off that case in the morning, that has to clear out. You know, whenever I get home, I can't bring home the day or the troubles of the day back to my kids and my family. Um, so I work, I work really, really hard on that. And the way I do that is figuring out something that's just for me. So whether it's for me, it's like, you know, getting into my word or, you know, church on Sunday, working out. Um, and just spending me time sleeping, you know, whatever Ashley wants to do to make sure that I'm clear and I'm strong mentally to do what I need to do for my family, first of all, and then for my job, then I try to do that. Mm-hmm. And I know you're in the community a lot. How, how are you able to uh, be a visible role model for other women, young young girls, be they black or white, and just anyone within the community who could learn from your example? Oh, I mean, you definitely have to have a strong support system. You have to be with someone that really supports you. I mean, my husband has the kids for us. We have a really, really tight calendar because he's very active in the community, too. So, you know, we have a very tight calendar as far as, you know, who's where and what, making sure that we're still making time for each other as often as possible. But then also uh, our families. You know, my mom comes down and my dad comes down from Hickory and his mom and dad are in Lewisburg and Nashville and they'll come down and watch the kids for us. And just having that support system has really allowed me to go out into the community. And I'm so grateful for our whole village and team friends and everybody that that loves on us and helps us and takes care of us. So mm-hmm. now, how, how do you deal with the uh, the people at the church? You know, when 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 you walk in on a Sunday or you walk in whenever it is that you're at the church, you are obviously to them a uh, legal resource and uh, all of the uh, the the sins and burdens that the, that they uh, share and that they are experiencing at the time, uh, they invariably will want to dump it on your lap and for you to uh, bring resolution to problems outside of the courtroom having absolutely nothing to do uh, with uh, your work but everything to do with uh, uh, whatever ministry you're doing at the church. Uh, how, how, do, how do you... You you, you you navigate around that. And, and you're asking for a friend. <laughs> asking for a friend. Well, it's a little too late for you. I'm sorry. It's a little too late. And the good thing for me is I can't give legal advice. And because I've worked for the state, I've never been able to give legal advice. So that just flows from my tongue. I'm so sorry I can't give you legal advice. But I can tell you about these wonderful resources over here or the type of attorney that you need. Um, so that's been very easy. The second thing is that my my church is, at, is Vision Church, RDU, which is um, off of New Bern Avenue. And 
I was not a judge at the time that I started going there. So that was great. They really prayed for me and, and saw that growth happen in that. Um, the other thing is that a lot of the people don't even know I am a judge um, because at one point I was serving in the children's ministry. And now I serve under my husband, who's the media director. So I'm back there, you know, clicking the screen uh, for the words for the praise team. And I'm praising. I did it Sunday and I was praising back there and messing up. And I was like, I got to focus, you know. Um, so a lot of people don't even know uh, what I do. And my pastor is really great. My pastor, Jerome Gay, is really great, too, about making sure that people don't necessarily get to me. If they're trying to, he's very he's very uh, protective of me to make sure that when I'm in the church and I'm in the home that I'm also getting what I need versus, like you said, the job is draining, mm-hmm. making sure that I'm able to get what I need and being that resource for me. So that's it's it's the village. Mm-hmm. It is the village yeah. every day. Yeah, because in in the in the church there are tremendous needs. I mean, the the the, the things that you run into in the courtroom are uh, very present and visible right there in Absolutely. the pews uh, er- every Sunday. And uh, people, no matter what side of the, uh, the, the dispute uh, they, may, uh, be, they may be on, are always looking for. And, I, and I've experienced this throughout my uh, uh, life as, uh, as, as a lawyer, you know, that, okay, let's, let's, let's go to uh, Professor Jordan. He can, mm-hmm. you know, he can, mm-hmm. he, 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 he can tell us what to do yeah. or he can work a miracle for us, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I know there's, there's a burden on your shoulder uh, when that happens. So, But it's good to have a community that is uh, uh, embracing and protective of you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now you are the current president of the National NCCU Law Alumni Association. Yes. So what what um, what do you do in that capacity? And and but first, why did you decide to serve in in that role? You serve in so many areas, and yet here's another one. And so, uh, what led you to do that? And and what do you do in that capacity? Well, honestly, they it was a surprise nomination and a surprise election. So <laughs> that's like the church. <laughs> that's like like the church. You know, where you were called, you serve. So that was the background of that um but i am thrilled to be the president like i said it was completely unexpected uh, but i believe that there were some things that i could help facilitate and the main thing is really getting our alumni together back together um, letting them know about the great things that we have going on in the law school but more so increasing our engagement um, specifically with those that have graduated several years ago and bringing them back in. And so that was really one of my biggest platforms once I was <laughs> surprise elected um, was the ways to do that. And so um, basically my job as uh, the president is, like I said, to increase alumni engagement. One way that we've done that is we've created a mentorship program with the students that are currently there um, to facilitate relationship and to let them know that there are people that they you know that we love them and we care about them. So we've done that. Um, we've started a CLE that's running on our third year this year for our continuing legal education um, day that's bringing alum from, you know, several years back to come on into the school, see what's going on, but then also to earn those credits that we need to continue to be lawyers. And then last year we had our first annual alumni weekend, which was not homecoming, completely separate in the spring, Mm -hmm. where we brought our alum in. We uh, recognized those that had milestone years, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. 
um, like my dad did, and there was some 35 and 40s. So we were honored to have them back with us. And um, we had a party to help fundraise for it, and we had our alumni meeting where we voted to become a separate entity. So that way we can hopefully start to facilitate even more engagement with our alumni, raise more money, and really help the school and build up the school um, as much as we can. So. Now, now, you're also very active with the uh, Capital City Lawyers Association, and I know that they uh, engage in a lot of community uh, education-oriented type uh, programs. Uh, can you talk about uh, your role with them and the kind of things that, uh, that uh, CCLA is doing? CCLA is an, or- is an awesome organization of minority, mainly African-American attorneys in Wake County. Um, and what I would say, my involvement began with them six years ago, um, whenever Judge Christian, who was at the time our only African-American female district court judge on the bench, um, and she came up to me and she said, Ashley, we need to do something for the youth. And I said, great idea, and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and then she called me back up. She said, no, Ashley, I'm really serious. We really need to plan something. And I said, okay, great. So we got together with the other African-American judges, Judge Kroom, Judge Gregory, Judge Rozier, um, and myself and some other attorneys and CCLA attorneys, and we formulated a program called the CCLA Law Day event, and it is now running on its sixth year. It would have been held on August the 3rd, um, and so at that event, essentially what we did was we have brought, at this point, approximately 600 students between the ages of 12 and 18 years old down to the courthouse, the Wake County Courthouse. We have um, basically offer them an opportunity to meet and engage with minority police officers, um, minority attorneys, and juvenile court counselors, and engage in a mock trial, and also take a tour of the jail. And it's run all by minority attorneys and officers um, and others so that these students can see that there are people that look like them that are working in the system, um, and so that they can educate themselves to maybe become a part of it, maybe become, you know, um, a, you know, a, ju- a judge or a lawyer or a clerk or a bailiff or an officer or all the other important people that, you know, operate um, our system the way that we do. And so we just really wanted to educate them on that. And so that's a great event that I'm super excited about and um, just honored to be a part of that. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm very proud of uh, the uh, Capital City Lawyers Association. I used to practice uh, in, uh, in Wake County and uh, at the time, uh, we, we, the black uh, lawyers there could have had their meeting in a telephone booth. Uh, <laughs> it accommodated all of us. But uh, uh, today there is a significant increase yes. in the uh, number and presence of African-American lawyers over in, uh, in Wake County. So I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with uh, what it is that they're doing to reach out into a, a community that really needs it. Yes. Uh, and, and, and needs it bad, as is the George H. White uh, Bar yes. Association over here mm-hmm. in, uh, in Durham, and that's the kind of activism that you, uh, that you need uh, in, in the law. So uh, thank you for all that you uh, do there. But talk a little bit about the reception from the community or the people that you make contact with in these CCLA uh, activities. Um, I think the first thing is shock. is the first thing I get told all the time you know you don't look like a judge you know you don't don't look like one at all you're like a little kid and I'm like thank you you know um 
Well, that's a point. That's, that's a point. You know, I'll stay young forever. Black don't crack, right? So, I've, you know, I've got some time. Um, so that would be the first thing. But they are super grateful. And I appreciate everyone that has reached out to me to ask me to come speak at their school or speak at their event or, you know, brought their students down to the courthouse, that kind of thing, to allow me to engage with them. I'm so grateful for that um, because without them, I mean, there's there's no opportunity for that to happen. And for me, it's the reason why I actually wanted to become a judge, because when I was the only DA and I was looking out in the audience and I knew I could do a lot of good work in that role, I never thought I'd ever be a judge. That was not I was not in law school like, oh, I want to be a judge. I was in law school saying I want to be a prosecutor and I want to retire as a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with that. But it was whenever I looked out in the audience and saw people that looked like me and I looked at the bench and didn't see somebody that looked like me, that I felt like God had called me to that role, that how important representation was. And we had Judge Christian, who was phenomenal and amazing, and she was in family court. So it's in that criminal courtroom that we did not have that um, female, black female representation. And so it was at that point that um, I decided in 2013 that this is what God had called me to do and I could really make a big difference there because of my experiences that I pursued that goal. And so anytime that I'm able to talk to young girls, young African-American girls and let them see me, um, I know is hopefully making a difference because I know that Judge Christian made a big difference for me. And so as often as I can do that, I try to do that. And it's not just for African-American girls, but any girl, um, Mm -hmm. any young woman or any young man um, that says, wow, you know, what can I do? Because it wasn't easy for me. People said I was too young. They said I was too inexperienced. They said I was unqualified. They said whatever excuse they wanted to say. Um, and then my response to that was that God qualified me mm-hmm. and whatever he says is for me is for me. And I just have to put myself in position. And so I just tried to do that. So 2013, you made the decision that you wanted to be a judge. So what was the next step that you took? How did you what path led you to uh, reaching the bench? Um, I, I learned in law school to never reinvent the wheel. <laughs> so the first thing that I did was go and talk to other black judges. So I spoke to them and asked them to be my mentor, asked them what they had done, how they had done it, um, any advice they had that they could give me. And the main thing was because they are all central alums, Judge Croom, Judge Gregory, Judge Rozier, Judge Morgan, Justice Morgan now. Um, was, you know, to make sure that you're out in the community, make sure that you're visible because that's the most important thing. And I was like, oh, check. I'm here for that all day. I would do that, you know, more than anything. So I was like, this is it's completely up my alley. And so they literally, if they could not speak at a school, they sent me. Um, the greatest part about the attorney general's office is that they give you 24 hours of community service leave. So I was able to, I mean, it was gone in like the first month, but I was able, <laughs> you know, I was able to really get even more active out in the community and really do more things that I want, that I love to do um, in that capacity. So that really helped a lot um, and assisted in that journey. But then also um, I never thought that in 2017 I would be, appointed to the bench ever. You could have never told me that in 2013. But I also knew that I might possibly be young and I knew that I needed to have a variety of experience to be taken seriously. So even though the DA's office was my dream job, I um, then left and went to the attorney general's office to gain a diverse amount of experience. And so getting to travel across the state was awesome and amazing. I trained law enforcement officer on probable cause and reasonable suspicion. Um, I wrote uh, briefs for the Court of Appeals, you know, in Supreme Court. And so having that experience was just huge. And I think really put me in a unique position to be qualified for district court judge now. Now, you know, you mentioned uh, the the black judges you were able to call on and, and get their guidance and advice. And I was thinking back about uh, Irv's description of 
um, the black lawyers at the time that he was practicing some years ago being able to fit in a phone booth. And so when we think about the increase of black judges, the increase of black attorneys, that's in large part because of the work that's being done at NCCU School of Law. Can you talk about your role as president of the Alumni Association and what you see in terms of what alumni are doing and how they're impacting the community? Well, absolutely. I mean, our alum are the, if you want to see a qualified attorney in a courtroom, they went to North Carolina Central, the North Carolina Central University School of Law. So that's the first thing. So we are effective, right, when we're in these in these settings. Um, we are we are qualified. We are doing exceptional work, but we're also doing work for organizations and public interest groups such as DA's office, public defender's offices, attorney general's offices, legal aid, innocence project, et cetera, and so forth. We gravitate towards those type of positions. These are not high paying positions, but these are positions where you can do a lot of good. And so alumni all over the state are doing that, which is then in turn allowing us to then be appointed to the bench. I mean, we have had a huge surge. Governor Cooper has appointed numerous amounts of um, NCCU law alumni across the state since 2017 when he was you know allowed to I could I mean I can list off the top of my head just that year there was one two three four at least four just that year if not more and ever since then it has continued to blossom he has continued to appoint a diverse group of individuals that have attended our law school such as uh, the first african-american female or first african-american period to serve on the bench i believe in caswell and rockingham county mm -hmm. um just recently was sworn in so i mean he is he's doing El a great elements elements uh, judge larry brown our former yeah. president of the mm -hmm. alumni association we have marcus shields um we have oh yeah mecklenburg we have we have one in mecklenburg tracy wright i mean so all over the state we, he is appointing nccu law alums because we're qualified and because we can do a great job and i think that we are you know the, the amazing thing is that as we talk about the growth in the population of african-american uh, attorneys uh, in, in the state uh, they are still first uh, that uh, exists with us today. But we're talking with uh, Judge uh, Ashley uh, Parker Dunstan uh, here on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to uh, continue this uh, discussion. So stay with us and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson, and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with Wake County District Judge Ashley Parker Dunstan, who is also a proud, very proud graduate of the NCCU School of Law. Um, and we've been talking about uh, the impact, positive impact, tremendous positive impact that NCCU law alumni are having on this community, and Judge Dunstan is a perfect example of that. Um, Judge, you were talking a little bit about um, how it is that you stay grounded, and one of the things that you make sure you do is to practice self-care. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of taking care of self, especially when we think about the incidences of substance abuse 
in the legal community um, are higher than, you know, the regular population. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Like you said, substance abuse issues are rampant in the legal community because our jobs are so stressful. And then if you compound upon that, making a decision about someone's guilt or innocence or where a child is going to end up or who's telling the truth or who's not or where someone's money is going to go, I mean, it can get extremely stressful. And so, like you said, for me, self-care um, is key. I think self-care should be key for anyone. And, it, and you have to find out what works for you and what's important for you. If it's meditation, if it's getting a massage, if it's running, if it's whatever it is. Um, for me, like I said, is working out, um, spending time with my family, and just rest. Just taking a moment to cut the TV off, stare at a wall if you need to, you know, just relax, I think is so important. And it's, it's important for my mental strength, because every day, I'm dealing, in, I'm dealing with sometimes very difficult people in very difficult situations. Um, and I need to be my best self. And I see the way to do that is to make sure that I'm taking the time that I need, take a vacation, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's important for everyone to do. You know, in a recent uh, publication by uh, Chief Justice uh, Sherry Beasley, uh, where she uh, looked at and discussed um, uh, the unfavorable attitudes uh, or opinions that people have about the justice system uh, and that the, uh, uh, the dissatisfaction with the court system uh, is decreasing uh, every year. Uh, how do you, well, how do you encounter that uh, or how often do you encounter that uh, in court and uh, or out and how do you address uh, the uh, rebuilding of a favorable impression of, uh, of our court system? Well, I would say the first thing is that I, I like to say I keep it real, right? I keep it respectful. I keep it efficient. I keep it, um, it's the R and the E, and then the A, active in the community, and then L, learned in the law. And that's kind of my, my way of approaching every single day in every situation. And the first thing is being respectful to people. I think that's the first thing. Even if they're being disrespectful to you, that you just try to show that first. Also, I've realized that people are a lot more uh, willing to accept your judgment or your ruling if they feel like their voice was heard. And so I think that's also something that I've taken into consideration and, and tried to, to make sure that I do. Um, and then also at the same time, if someone is being, you know, blatantly just, the justice system is unfair, you know, I'm not trying to hear that, just very just, you know, over it, um, I hear them out. You know, most of the time it's black men, specifically in child support court. And I asked them, you know, well, what's going on? And they said, well, the last judge this happened, or the last time that happened, or when I was, you know, convicted of X, Y, and Z, I felt like this happened. I said, well, let me tell you something. I took this job to change that dynamic. I took this job to help you. So I just address it head on. I don't just dispel it with, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. No, it probably was the case, or at least how you perceived it. Mm. Um, which is now your reality. But I'm telling you that now you're in front of somebody who does care, who wants to get it right, um, who wants to do what's best for your child or for your situation. Um, and main thing, and the main thing for me is I consider myself a rehabilitative judge. So I'm asking them questions so I can figure out how can we stop you from being back in this situation again? Mm -hmm. Because it just takes that little bit of extra time to say, okay, has this worked before? Because court calls doesn't work all the time jail doesn't work all the time and probation doesn't work all the time and so we have to look at each case as an individual and I think that when you treat someone as an individual you can say okay look 
we might need to put you in a drug treatment court program. Maybe you've never actually gone through a 120-day treatment facility program because you couldn't afford it. Or maybe you weren't successful on probation. Do you think that maybe some jail time might work? Or do you think that jail time won't work and you need to be put on probation because you've done years in jail? Maybe you do need somebody on top of you to hold you accountable. But you can't just give a blanket statement or a blanket judgment for everybody without taking that time to understand them. And then once that happens, hopefully they will say, and in my experience, they've said, okay, you know what? I do feel like the system is changing. Um, I do see someone that actually does hear me and wants to help me. Because like I said, my job is not to judge people. My job is to help them. Well, you know, as as a parent, uh, you carry a difficult load when you're dealing with family court, for instance, where you are. Uh, confronted with uh, uh, conflict uh, in the same kind of arena that you have to return to every day with your own children, your own husband. You know how how does that you know impact you know your 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 ability to uh, be impartial, uh, to uh, to be effective, to uh, help to uh, as, as you say uh, draw from the experiences of the persons to determine what the real needs are. Uh, that will address the conflict that they engaged in. Absolutely. Well, you know, I would say that me being a mother myself has made a huge impact on me and on my decision making, specifically um, the fact that I'm also a bonus mom. So I am from a blended family. Not only am I have sisters that are blended, um, I have half sisters, but then I also have a bonus daughter. And so being in her life, her entire nine years pretty much, Um, You know, I've had experiences with her mom and I've seen where things have not worked and things have worked. And um, and I explain that to people. I'm very transparent with them. And I say there's been times that we have messed up and I have messed up as a bonus mom. Um, And this is the time now that we have to get it together. You know, I'm having those real conversations with them in the courtroom and explaining to them, look, I've lived this. I'm living this. I've been through here. I'm with you in the trenches. You know, I am not just someone sitting up on this high platform looking down below. I'm with you. But the main thing is that we are team baby. We are team for this for this child. And when I'm looking at the best interest of them and hearing these two situations, the main thing is to let the resentment move to the side, put your pettiness to the side, put your issues to the side to focus first on your child because they're the ones that's most important. And everybody has to be on one accord to make sure that that child grows up to be productive despite the fact that their parents may not be together. And and how has that been received? And so this sounds like, um, you know, not all judges are as real as you are and, and as transparent. So how have those who have appeared before you received your... Um, way of judging Um, I think they I think they respect it because they're saying because they understand that I am actually really really passionate about their families and really really trying to get this right Um, from what I can tell they seem to they might like my ruling but they definitely seem to understand it they see where it's coming from Um, with my transparency like I said it's not from a judgmental standpoint of anything that they're doing um, and, and just really understanding that I'm trying to help them and help might hurt sometimes, right? But um, I've been called Little Christian, which Judge Christian is our family court judge. And um, I was told yesterday I've been called Little Christian. I said, I will take it. That's like the best compliment. Um, but yeah, I think that people do need to hear that hard truth. I think we all need to hear that hard truth. I have to hear that hard truth. I have friends that surround me and tell me, Ashley, you know, you know, look out for this or Ashley, you know, you could have done that better. Um, I tell attorneys all the time, if there's something I could have done better, please let me know. I mean, you have to have an air of humility with you at all times. And I think that's important for any member of the judiciary, any attorney, anybody in any role needs to have that air of humility so that you can become better and grow. Cause I don't always get it right. And I'm not perfect. 
um, but I definitely try. Yeah. And, a, and a part of, uh, of that issue is not only the, the combatants in court, but uh, their, their surrogates, the lawyers, uh, who may not be on the same page and who are into the, uh, the, the conflicting uh, portion of the, uh, of the lawyering process. Uh, how have you been able to help to reform or retrain or refocus uh, them? I mean, I think the main thing is that I've, I've set a very clear expectation and I've remained consistent in that, which is something that I wanted to make sure that I that I did. I said, if I'm a judge, I've seen some things I like on judge that some judges have done. I've seen some things I don't like. So let me try to merge the things that, you know, those two together to, to be me um, and to do what works and to be consistent. And I've set the expectation that, you know, the, the drama, the TV stuff, the. Uh, law and order, whatever, combatantness, you know, we're not doing that. We're going to have, have an air of respect in this courtroom, um, whether it's me or whoever else, that's how you're going, you know, you know how you're supposed to act, you were trained in how you're supposed to act. The main thing that I also set place and set forth very clear in my courtroom is the ability to mediate. I really like the families and the parties to try to work out something before they come to see me. Um, I make that very clear. I set that expectation. Let's try to work on mediation and settlement first because I feel like if people do agree to it themselves, they're more likely to follow it than if I were to tell them. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, I tell them um, every single day, I said, look, if your child walked in here, I wouldn't even know they belong to you. Now, you know, if you want me to settle your, you know, settle your dispute or figure out where your child is going to end up or however else is going to happen. I mean, I can do that. And I'm pretty good at it. That's my job. I don't have a problem with that. And I will determine the best interest for your child, the best interest of your child. But you may not like the result. So this is your chance to work as a team, to be parents and figure out what's going on before I tell you what's going to go on. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to be really effective. I think that the um, attorneys appreciate that as well. Uh, it's a lot more work for them, but I think they appreciate that as well. And I appreciate their um, their hard work in in that to help these parties work together to figure out the best thing for their families. So what advice would you give to law students? So uh, the fall semester is about to begin. So we've got new law students who are coming in, uh, continuing law students. Um, what advice would you give to to those law students? Um, stay open. You never know where you're going to end up. <laughs> when I was in your classroom, first one L year taking torts with Professor Dawson and two L year taking race and law with you, Professor Joyner, I would have never believed that seven, eight, nine years later I would be sitting in where I am. Um, so I would just say stay open. Just do your best. Really um, try to help people. Um, try to do good work. Uh, maintain your integrity, maintain your character, maintain who you are at the end of the day, and the rest will fall into place. But definitely just stay open. And well, one of the things I, I remember about you is that you seem to have surrounded yourself with like-minded people and, and had a good support system within the school. So outside, but also inside the people that you associated with. And, and that goes beyond just law school. Absolutely. So my ace... Boone Coon or number one, Danae, um, we were inseparable all throughout law school, is my treasurer. She's my campaign treasurer. So, I mean, like you said, the, the relationships that you build in law school um, are so important. Um, and, and the thing about it, too, is that you never know who's going to who you might appear in front of. I mean, I'm sure my colleagues, they are super supportive. My class of 2012 is the best. I mean, they see me on the bench and I'm like, don't take pictures, guys, you know. <laughs> um, but, they, you know, I love them to death. But I mean, who would have known that Ashley would be here or a class of 2011 would know Marcus Shields would be up there or, you know, 2009 would know Larry Brown has been up there. So you just never know where your colleagues are going to end up or who's going to be a professor uh, or, you know, 
what or who's going to be your boss. You just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you always have to stay, stay, have a great group around you. Stay focused. Um, don't get um, involved in the drama um, because, like I said, at the end of the day, you're going to graduate. It's not going to matter, and you're going to be in the field. And these are the people, your fellow alumni, are who you're going to need to call on, which is what I had to call on um, in order to pursue my, my dreams and goals and my jobs that I've gotten. So, Well, you know, uh, Chief Justice uh, Beasley, uh, who is the first African-American to serve as a chief justice at the North Carolina Supreme Court, uh, started out as a district court judge. Uh, the uh, associate justice, uh, pa- uh, Patricia Timmons Goodson, uh, who was the uh, first African-American woman to serve on the North Carolina uh, Supreme Court, started out as a uh, district court uh, judge. Uh, uh, looking at those examples, uh, where, where, where do you see you know, yourself going in the, <laughs> the judgeship arena? I mean, are there aspirations and movement to prepare yourself for you know, elevation up the ladder? And there are uh, elevation levels that's there. Yes, sir. I have absolutely no idea because I never saw myself here. So I'm always open to what God has for me. Right now, I'm just trying to be the best district court judge that I can. I'm trying to win an election next year in 2020. Uh, that's really my biggest focus. But um, I would say I'm open to whatever the next level is, whether it is Superior Court, Court Appeals, uh, District Court Judge, or if it's something outside the judicial arena. I don't know. Um, but I'm definitely open and uh, willing to go wherever he tells me to. Mm. And so let's see, um, we've got students who are actually um, today of our taping, even though this will air on Sunday, we have students who are graduates, rather, who are sitting for the bar exam. So um, mm-hmm. Tuesday and Wednesday, um, what advice do you have for uh, new, newly minted. Uh, minted lawyers? Oh, well, I would say that do not get intimidated. Um, underestimation has been my secret weapon. I love it. I use it as my shield and my sword. Use it as yours. When you are in that courtroom, you remember that you went to the North Carolina Central University School of Law. You are prepared, and sometimes you are more prepared than even those more experienced attorneys that feel like they just have this in the bag. You know, do the research. Do what you need to, to do. Um, use your resources Use other people that have been in there. Don't be afraid to ask questions. We are here for you. Ask other alumni if we can help, you know, put you in touch with um, other, you know, jobs or whatever else that you're looking for. Um, Use that resource of the alumni base because it is huge. It is powerful. It is dynamic. And it is there for you. Well, all right. Well, um, I I just have to say that one of the joys of teaching is um, having former students Uh, coming back and just sharing with us their journeys. And I still remember, um, I still remember your attentiveness, particularly in constitutional law, because that's a that's a really challenging course. Yes. And the one of the joys of, of teaching is being able to see how these young people who you hopefully help to motivate and to grow and develop and to see what they do, you know, um, take flight and and just excel and it has been an absolute joy having you here with us uh, here with us this evening and just sharing your journey with us and being an inspiration to uh, not just the people in your courtroom to your classmates but also to your former professors as well thank you thank y'all so much for having me it's such an honor and i really appreciate what you're doing and raising awareness of our fantastic law school 
and our fantastic grants. (laughs) (laughs) So we're out of time, but we want to thank again uh, alum, class of 2012, Ashley Parker Dunstan, who is a judge uh, for the Wake County District Court. And we, of course, would like to thank you, our listening audience, for taking time out of your Sunday evening and spending it with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I'm sure you have. If you have any comments or questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And we're also happy to announce that you can now find the show on iTunes in podcast form. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed and engaged.